Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, before we get started, I would like to just make a a little disclaimer here. Um, We've been having a few audio issues of late that, for the most part, hopefully nobody's really noticed. I tend to think I notice these because I spend so much time, you know, editing the episodes and everything. Um, It might just be a little tiny bit of distortion um, once in a while on my voice. Um, So if you've been hearing that any of our recent episodes, or if you hear in this episode, I apologize. We are trying to fix the problem. Unfortunately, right now, don't know what the problem is. So as soon as I can figure out what it is, we will fix it. But if you are hearing that, you you know, it's something that's that's popped up in recent episodes because it just started recently, I apologize. Please bear with us as we figure that out. So just a little disclaimer about that, because I'm very particular about our audio, and I'm very proud of our audio. So this is really bugging me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, luckily, <laughs> mine, mine, <laughs> so uh, I can always count on Phil and his Foley effects. Foley Phil. Foley Phil. Foley Phil never gets old. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are we are back for another episode. Phil, why don't you want to you why don't you uh, tell people what we're talking about in this week's episode? Yes, the two main films we're going to be covering are. Leviathan, that's one of the classic sci-fi films. Well, I say classic. Kind of a cult classic. It's, cla- it's, it's an enjoyable sci-fi romp horror action thing. And it's got Peter Weller in, so it's cool. Uh, so we're doing that one. And also we're doing the Lethal Weapon quadrilogy. Yeah, quadrilogy. Yeah, quadrilogy. I'm okay with that. Yeah, Yeah, we're going after the ending of that as well. So it's just taking it all as one big whole and then seeing what happens after the fourth film. That sounds good. And we'll also be doing our top five favorite performances of Halle Berry. Yeah. Yeah, it should be a, a fun episode as always. Yeah, all that and more after the break. <laughs> That's right. Now back to you. Yes, and if you if you are if you do want to sponsor us, get in touch and we could fit you in at those little bits. Oh, absolutely. And we work cheap, so you know if you're if you want to sponsor a podcast, we are your guys. <laughs> yeah. So you know you want to sponsor a podcast, but you're on a budget. Well, listen, I'm just saying we're the ones for you. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's start with Leviathan, shall we? Yeah, sounds good. Do you want to run run us through what happens in that film because it's probably been a while since many of us have seen it. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that actually. But uh, it's a 1989 film. It has a pretty good cast. It stars Peter Weller, Amanda Pays, Ernie Hudson, Richard Crenna, Daniel Stern, and Hector Elizondo. Not bad for a largely forgotten underwater monster movie that's kind of a b-flick totally and it's not to be confused with deep star six which starred greg evergan right and it came out at the same time (laughs) and uh was which i also have a soft spot for that film too but we'll talk about that another time anyway and it also also had they both have a very similar plot they do exactly all right so the story goes like this an underwater mining crew discovers a deep sea russian wreck called the leviathan or as they pronounce it in Russian in the film, the, the American doctor says, Leviathan, which I always thought was really cool. <laughs> they bring back a flask of vodka from the ship, which is shared among the crew, and that causes some of them to transform into a pretty nasty kind of like alien life form type of thing. As the crew members start dying in horrible ways, they realize that the Leviathan was experimenting on their own crew with mutagens, 
uh, and that they are being mutated into these creatures. Eventually, after a bunch more people die and a lot more creaturey thingies pop up, all that's left of the crew are Stephen Beck, played by Peter Weller, Elizabeth Willie Williams, played by Amanda Pays, and Justin Jones, played by Ernie Hudson. Uh, they make it to the surface as the mining compound is destroyed, but as they get there, the creature attacks and seemingly kills Jones. Uh, Beck throws a demolition charge into the creature's mouth, and the whole thing explodes. Beck and Willie are rescued and brought to an oil platform run by Tri-Oceanic Corporation, who left them down below the surface and declared them dead for, you know, insurance reasons. Uh, and he punches out a female executive who had been the, sort of their contact throughout the film. And that's pretty much the end of it. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yes. I like it. Thank you. Uh, so what do you think of uh, Leviathan and Mike? So uh, he, here's the thing. I have a real soft spot for this movie and Deep Star Six. When these movies came out, I was a young teenager. I love creature flicks. I love underwater movies. And so underwater creature Netflix. I was all sorts of excited about both of these films. I didn't see either of them in theaters because I believe they're both rated R, but I watched them on video and like it's one of those things where it's like there's definitely flaws in the movie and I recognize that and every time I watch it it's never quite as good as I want it to be Yeah, but yeah, I still yeah. really kind of like it and I will watch this movie every four or five years. I end up throwing it on and, and, and watching it again just because it's uh, there's something about it that I just really enjoy. And it's one of those films, too, that I sort of forget what happens every time I watch it. So after a couple of years, I'm like, what's going on again? Like, why are they mute? Like, what's the secret? There's something about the ship. Like, you know, I sort of forget all the details. Yeah, yeah. So I always have fun revisiting it. So not a perfect film, not the greatest creature feature or anything like that, but but definitely a film I have some nostalgia for and I have kind of, a, like I said, a special place for it. How about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I do. I do like those kind of films. And like you say, it's never quite as good as you as it should be because it's it's a good concept I'm not, it's probably because you know it's it had a good cast probably the script could have done with being a bit more punchy and the creature effects yeah the creature effects pretty good but yeah it's just something not quite right but i always remember seeing like uh, the trailers for this in deep star six and then uh, just going oh i've got to see that one did i you know i enjoyed the hell out of it uh, it also looks like there's come some kind of a similar kind of film heading our way called underwater starring yeah. Kristen stewart and vincent cassell which looks very much like a, an 80s or 90s creature feature yeah, I wish I, to see what that's it's like. two actors I don't really care for, so I, I wish it was a, mm. a cast I could get more excited about, but I'll probably go see it anyway. Yeah, well, it looks, definitely looks like the production values are good, but yeah. so we'll see. But uh, no, as for Leviathan, I do I do enjoy it, and I mean, it's got Robocop, it's got uh, it's got Winston from Ghostbusters, uh, yeah. it's got... Colonel Troutman from, from Rambo. Yeah, yeah, it's, got, it's just, it's uh, lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. All right. Well, uh, do you want to go ahead and kick us off with your day after then? Okay, then. Uh, well, the fact that the Trioceanic Corporation had declared both Beck and Willie, uh, Willie dead in a supposed accident is a bit of a problem for them. However, Beck causes a scene so that a lot of people on the drilling pa- platform where they are uh, see them so they can't be disappeared, you know, to cover up the story and everything. But both Beck and Willie, uh, when they have a, uh, some time alone, they discuss the matter of the creatures and the mutagen that they'd found on the Leviathan submarine. But they decide not to mention it as they know that the Trioceanic Corporation would only exploit it. Meanwhile, Miss Martin, who's the uh, the exec who sent them down and who back punched out, she's listening in via an audio bug which he placed in the room. Mm. And then she heads to the lab on the uh, the drilling platform where some scientists are examining the strange mutated flesh that they had also recovered when they picked up Beck and Willie. All right. Meanwhile, deep in the ocean, sharks begin eating on the flesh of the destroyed creature. <laughs> the sharks begin slowly changing oh no and mutating that's not good no 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 (laughs) 
And that's my day after. I like it. I like it. I didn't even think about that. That's fun. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, what's going on then with your day after? Okay. Well, the piece of mutated DNA is almost microscopic when it lands on Beck's clothing during the explosion. It's so small that nobody notices it at first. Beck throws his clothes into a laundry pile in his room before taking a shower and forgets about them. When the oil derrick's cleaning crew picks up the pile of clothes on a routine laundry collection, the woman manning the cart doesn't even notice the microbial flesh as it lands on her skin. Less than 24 hours later, she's mutated into another leviathan creature. Beck and Willie are literally taking off in a helicopter to return to the mainland when Beck sees the creature explode out onto the main deck. Son of a bitch, he mutters. He looks at Willie, they lock eyes, and nodding in mutual understanding, they instruct the helicopter pilot to land the chopper again. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Oh, very good, very good. Actually, the way the creature does, it, it is muted and stuff. It's almost a little bit like the thing. Yes, it is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, when I was writing the recap, actually, I was kind yeah. of going, you know, it's it's not dissimilar in terms of, it's it doesn't, the main difference, I think, is it's not as good at hiding as, like, the thing is. Like, once it mutates, yeah, yeah. it tends to come out more. But it is very much along those lines of, like, the creatures are different. Like, they mutate into whatever they need to mutate into. It's, it's less yeah. of a kind of fluid creature so um yeah yeah there's some definite similar I, th- I definitely think this is a movie that got some inspiration from the thing oh definitely definitely uh okay then that's uh, i like it i'm looking forward to see how what happens once they land the helicopter yeah so uh all right well, great well tell us about your immediate aftermath then okay well a storm is heading in as a storm always does <laughs> uh, it means that beck and willie are stuck on the drilling platform as it's not quite safe for a helicopter to take off uh, one of the signs who was actually a bit of an idiot had uh, was infected by the mutagen as he'd been studying it and he accidentally introduced the mutagen into the evening meal uh, during some kind of comedy hijinks <laughs> involving a banana peel, a salt shaker, and a can of Coke or another beverage, whatever you want to do. You know, any sponsors want to get in touch, sponsors, that's great. Right. Uh, but anyway, the, he infects the evening meal, and therefore many of the other crew on the drilling platform are also infected. Beck and Willie, though, are being kept as not quite prisoners, but they're given different food, uh, so they don't end up being infected. But they're also unaware of the many crew members who are suddenly mutating and changing and becoming rather ill. Meanwhile... Under the surface of the ocean, the mutated sharks have merged together, forming an even larger creature, and its senses are now tracking a pod of humpback whales. Mm. And that's my immediate aftermath. I like it. Thank you very much. Very good. Lots of fun. Yeah, so what's going on with yours? Uh, Beck and Willie have landed back on the platform. Okay. The oil derrick is engulfed in flames. Beck and Willie are back-to-back using the makeshift flamethrower they created out of spare parts. Beck had hoped they'd be able to kill the creature before it had spread to more people, but they were too late. Once the situation had gotten out of control, Beck wanted to take off in the helicopter again, but Willie convinced him that they had to destroy all the creatures or die trying, as the results, if it made it to the mainland, would be end-of-the-world catastrophic. As the creature's tentacles encroach on them, Willie spots a hatch to the below decks and grabs Beck, taking off running. They make it just in time and seal the door behind them. She looks around at their surroundings, then turns to Beck and says, I have an idea. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Oh, very good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to finding what the idea is. Yes. Well, I want to find out about what's going on in yours because I feel like that could be big things. So uh, tell us about <laughs> your long term. Okay. Well, Beck and Willie had been fighting for their lives. The mutated crew members had been merging to form larger monsters. Some had been fighting each other and then absorbing the defeated ones, their biomass increasing each time. Beck and Willie, along with a few other survivors, had managed to get a message through to a naval destroyer that had been passing a few miles away. They now stood on one of the the lower drilling platform decks as the destroyer got closer. The barricade they had built was still holding. Beck and Willie looked at the other five survivors. They were going to make it. The rain poured down. The destroyer had come to a stop and a smaller craft was heading towards them. Lightning crackled and Beck's smile faded 
as from the other side of the destroyer, a gigantic monstrosity rose from the depths. It towered over the destroyer. They watched as some of the guns on the destroyer turned to point at the creature, but it was too late. The kraken-like behemoth slammed its claws into the ship. Within moments, the destroyer had been snapped in half and was sinking into the sea. From behind them, back in Wally Head, one of the survivors called out, The barricade's falling! The small boat was almost at the platform. Back and Wally looked at each other. Time to jump, said back. And that's my long term. Fates are black. Oh, I like it. Man, that would make such a good movie. Like, why can't somebody make that? Yeah, do it, please, Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, that would be so cool. Leviathan it Rising, you know, like a yeah. sequel nobody asked for, but like nobody would even need to know it was a sequel. But that was a, that's a cool story. Yeah, look. Yeah, and Leviathan Rising, yeah, perfect title for it. Yeah. I mean, I'd watch the crap out of that. Yeah, that's what you want. Big sea monsters wrecking ships. Yeah. And, you know, smaller ones chasing people. That's what I'm sharks saying. Sharks attacking. Yeah, that's it. I it's, like it's it. what every film should have. <laughs> I mean, that might be going a little far, but, you know, <laughs> but I definitely like it. I, I was, well, as you're reading that last part, I was visualizing the entire thing in my head, which is always the mark of a good story, right? Yeah. So I was yeah, like picturing much, the whole yeah. thing in my head, and I was like, God, this would be so awesome to watch it on screen instead of just in my head. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day. Mike, yeah, I maybe. will make that film. Maybe. <laughs> okay, what's going on with yours then? What's their plan? All right, well, Willie and Beck make it back to the helicopter just in the nick of time. They take off, and the creature's tentacles whip around wildly below them, trying to snag the fleeing machine. But they get out of reach just before it can grab hold of them. Willie looks at the watch on her wrist and says, 10 seconds. Beck nods, then yells at the pilot, get us as much distance as you can from that thing. Pilot doesn't have to be told twice, as the derrick is a hellish nightmare of flames and creatures, and he pushes the helicopter to its limits. It's almost not enough, but they have just enough distance to keep them safe as the oil derrick explodes in a massive fireball, courtesy of the homemade bomb Willie and Beck constructed in the bowels of the platform. The entire rig and every cell of the creature on board are atomized, and Willie and Beck let out a collective sigh of relief. Can we finally get the hell back to dry land, Beck asks. Willie just throws her head back and laughs as the helicopter flies into the sunset. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's another That's another good ending as well. Yeah, so we kind of had a little bit of a flip sides of the coin in a way because yours had sort of the, like the cliffhangery ending sort of, you know, the sort of ambiguous and mine was a little more of like the happy kind of ending. So. Yeah, yeah. I like to think that uh, Beck, Beck and Willie end up getting uh, shipwrecked on the same island <laughs> as the people from the end of Deep Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be all. I, I did think of tying those <laughs> together, actually. That yeah, did cross my mind. Well. <laughs> uh, but I decided not to. But I do have an after credits scene. Oh, going up. All right, so. Credits go, comes back up. The Russian general finishes reading the report on the mining facility and the oil derrick. He closes the folder, and on the front in Russian are the words, Leviathan Project. I suppose we'll have to start again, he says to the man sitting across from him, who wears no official insignia of rank. The man says to him, do we have enough of the alien material to launch the program again? The general replies, if not, we will simply have to return to the abandoned American base in Antarctica. If they're not interested in the riches it holds, why should we not take advantage of it? <laughs> that's awesome and, and that's my after the credit scene so so it's oh. funny that you mentioned the, the thing because obviously yeah, I yeah. did I did find a way to tie it together that's a, that'd be a good way to do some like a, a, a backdoor sequel to the thing right. just have it mentioned at the end yeah. and just yeah oh wow so yeah that was fun I enjoyed that yeah Oh, good stuff, yeah. There you go. All right, so if you haven't seen Leviathan, check it out. It's a fun little movie. Don't expect too much. It's a, you know, it's a creature feature from the late 80s, but it's got pretty good practical effects, good cast, and you know, it's a fun little kind of sci-fi horror flick, so so give it a watch. Yes, yes. But before you do that, listen to the following uh, Leviathan trivia that Phil is going to provide. Yes, well, uh, there were very few scenes in the films that were actually shot underwater. Mm. As a production went for this uh, dry-for-wet look where they did it on a soundstage and the uh, various jiggery pokery to make it look a bit more underwater. There were some scenes done, but it was mainly 
just filmed on a soundstage. Makes sense. It was also directed by George P. Cosmatos, who's as the next film he did after this one was a 1993's Tombstone starring Kurt Russell. Right, right, which right. Which is a very good film. Yep. The uh, the creature was designed by Stan Winston and George P. Cosmatos, and they went through a library of marine life pictures and medical reference books, and they were trying, they were looking to combine the human body parts and elements of deep sea marine life uh, to make this unnatural cre- uh, creature, which had never been seen on film before. Yeah. Uh, maybe it does look like a bit of man in suits sometime, but uh, on the whole, it's, it's damn good, practical Practical costumes and things always good. And Stan Winston, you know, is, is one of the best. Yeah, yeah. But that's uh, that's Leviathan. All right, very cool. Okay, so let's move on then. And, um, you know, as, as we've sort of done before, we don't really do um, movies that have sequels. So, like, we couldn't do an after the ending for, like, Lethal Weapon per se. So this is technically our after the ending for Lethal Weapon 4, but yeah. it's not as if really it has that that much to do with the fourth one specifically. So it's really kind of a Lethal Weapon franchise after the ending, kind of like what, you know, what what's happening now in the lives of Murtaugh and Riggs, really, more than a specific follow-up to the fourth film particularly, especially yeah, yeah. since I think most people would agree that the fourth one is kind of the the weakest of the of the franchise. So, um, Phil, you're going to yeah. kind of give us a breakdown of the sort of the fran- – a quick overview of the franchise, right? Yeah, that's right, yes. So uh, let's see. Well, the first Lethal Weapon film was out in 1987, written by Shane Black and Richard Donner. And then, as we say, there was four films in total. But we uh, they follow the exploits of Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh. And Riggs is a Vietnam vet who lost his wife and was a bit suicidal. But he gets teamed up with, uh, with Murtaugh, who's a married police officer with a lovely family. And because of this, Riggs finds friendship and purpose in his life. Uh, then through various investigations, gunfights, loss of friends and loved ones, and numerous explosions, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh remain friends and help each other through the dark times. They also make many new friends on their journeys, including Leo Getz, uh, Internal Affairs Officer Sergeant Lorna Cole, and Detective Lee Butters. Uh, and Riggs and Lorna end up getting married and have a kid, and Murtaugh becomes a grandfather when his oldest daughter ends up having a child with Detective Lee Butters and... Uh, that's a lethal weapon. Yeah, there you go. That's that's pretty much where we leave things. So that's just, that's where we're going to pick up. Yeah, and there's lots of counts in one, two, three, and you're not sure <laughs> they're going to go on three right. or after three. And... Right. I mean, you've for the most part, I'm going to guess most people listening to this have seen the lethal weapon movies. So it's not like we really need to explain all of the ins and outs of the films to you. This, this is basically, like I said, the kind of the, the further adventures of Riggs and Murtaugh, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's what's go, go. What do you think then of uh, of the lethal weapon films, then, Mike? You know, I'm a big fan. Actually, I'll be honest with you. I, I love them. Yeah, I've loved too. them since yeah. they came out. Um, ironically kind of like the Indiana Jones I find a lot of comparison to the Indiana Jones trilogy just in that I I love all three of the first films the third one is actually my favorite much like with Indiana Jones and the fourth one was kind of unnecessary Mm, yeah yeah although I don't think the fourth one is as bad as a lot of people do it wasn't a film that was particularly well received I don't know that people hate it or anything but it's not one that people really loved I think because it wasn't that necessary, but I think it's actually on its own merits a pretty fun action film. It's still enjoyable to see the characters that we, you know, that we like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the first three are a pretty perfect action movie trilogy, and they definitely have that feel of films like Die Hard and stuff that you only really got in like the 80s and the 90s. You know, that they don't really capture that feel anymore that I I love. So um, yeah, I think they're great. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel much the same, but I think. Uh... I think the second one's my favorite. Okay, all right. I think that was the, the one I saw first as well. I didn't see the Lethal Weapon. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know why I didn't see that originally, but I saw the Lethal Weapon 2 first. But yeah, and the fourth one, I've only ever seen it the once. Yeah, I think me too, actually. I should really go back and give that another watch. Right, but I do love the third but, uh, one a lot. Yeah, and on the whole, I, do th- I thought Mal Gibson and Danny Glover were just brilliant. And then uh, 
Joe Pesky's Leo Getz as well. What a what a great yeah, character. Yeah, he's well, what an irritating character. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it works pretty well. Uh, but that's uh, that's a lethal weapon. Uh, but do you want to do your day after after the lethal weapon quadrilogy has ended? Sure. Okay, so life has settled down for Murtaugh and Riggs. Murtaugh is enjoying life as a grandfather, and Riggs has adapted surprisingly well to fatherhood. One day, however, as Riggs is leaving Jamba Juice because he likes to get a Jamba Juice now and again. Uh, He hits the remote start button on his car's key fob, and the car explodes. When the hubbub settles down, Riggs pulls Murtaugh aside and tells him he's worried that someone is out to kill them. Murtaugh looks at Riggs exasperatedly and says, Well, of course someone's trying to kill you. Your damn car just blew up. (laughs) Not me, Riggs says. Us. Why the hell do you think somebody's trying to kill me, Murtaugh says. Well, I don't want to say anything, but I noticed somebody outside your house the other night. I chased him, but he got away. But I think that's related to this. Murtaugh looks at Riggs and says, I'm getting too old for this. And that's my day after. Nice, nice. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know whether there'll be any similarities. Okay. There'll be some basic similarities. All but right. it's, that's, that's good, though. Just for new listeners, we don't compare. We don't know what the other person has done, but uh, we'll, we'll see. All right. All right. Well, go ahead then and give us your day after, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Riggs walks out of the Jamba Juice. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't write that. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, Riggs and Murtaugh sat in the sun drinking beer as their steaks cooked on the grill. Hey, Roger, said Riggs, uh, open another beer. We ain't too old for this. <laughs> Murtaugh laughed as their respective families returned to the house, and the afternoon continued with food, drink, and laughter. Both Riggs and Murtaugh now worked in the police academy, so there'd been a lot less gunfights and explosions in their lives, something which made everyone happier. With the evening drawing in, the day looked like it was going to be perfect. Murtaugh's phone rang, and after he'd been talking for a few minutes, he called Riggs over. It's Leo, said Murtaugh. He's in hospital. And that's my day after. Oh, no. What's going on with Leo? Mm. Was he hit by a bus? Because I thought about hitting him with a bus in my... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Well, you do, well yeah, yeah, we'll see. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, what's going on, though, with... Uh... Uh, with your immediate aftermath, then. Murtaugh and Riggs just stand there, staring at the rubble of the building that had just exploded. I just, I, I don't even know why it exploded, Riggs says. We, we barely even did anything. <laughs> Damn things just seem to explode everywhere we go, Murtaugh replies. As they turn and walk away, a secondary explosion rocks the building behind them, but neither of them even look back. Somewhere in the distance, a guitar riff can be heard wailing in the night. <laughs> the, t- the two cops make their way into an all-night diner and order coffee and pie. Okay, says Murtaugh, let's review. We know the people trying to kill us are locals. We know they have some kind of history with us, and we know they want us both dead. So who fits all those criteria? Our wives, Riggs jokes, then chuckles as he sips his coffee. Then Murtaugh and Riggs look up at each other at the exact same time. Son of a bitch, they both utter. And that's where I'll leave it for now. Nice, okay. Mm. Okay, well, there you go. So that's my immediate aftermath. Phil, tell us about your immediate aftermath. Okay, what had seemed like a normal hit and run seemed to be rather more premeditated once they'd uh, spoken to Leo. Leo was feeling, well, not too bad. He had a few broken bones, but he was uh, better once he saw his friends. It turned out, though, a letter had arrived at the hospital addressed to Leo, Riggs, and Murtaugh. It simply said, you kill my father, prepare to die. <laughs> hey, 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 it's like that film with the princess, said Leo. <laughs> Shut up, Leo, said Riggs and Murtaugh, as they pondered the letter. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right. Short and sweet. All right. I like it. I like it. I like you also like your Joe Pesci impression. <laughs> Thank you. Why, why is it funny, Mike? Is it funny? <laughs> yes, Phil. You amuse me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. But what's, uh, what's going on with yours, then? Who's the person who's after All right. Murtaugh and Riggs had never seen two buildings explode at the same time before, <laughs> but somehow they found themselves standing in between the rubble of them both. <laughs> <laughs> Standing before them were police captain Ed Murphy, psychologist Sally Trainer, 
computer operator Jeannie McGuire, Detective Kenneth Tigar, and a half dozen other former police officers and support staff. What the hell, Cap? Riggs asks. Are you kidding me, Riggs? Do you know what hell you've put me through for the past 14 years? What you've put all of us through? Blowing up buildings, killing dozens of people. The amount of paperwork is endless. You name it, you've done it. There isn't a person standing here who couldn't have had a happy life and an advanced career if it weren't for you two jackasses making our lives hell. We've had enough. Now it's time we get our revenge on you for ruining our lives. Within seconds, Murtaugh and Riggs find themselves surrounded by no less than 20 well-trained and well-armed men and women. As they pull their handguns, Riggs and Murtaugh look at each other, nod, and say in unison, Well, here we go again. <laughs> and that's the end. <laughs> okay. I was expecting that. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, kind of, it's a little bit of a Butch and Sundance kind of ending there. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. You know they're going to come out of it, okay, because they're Murtaugh and Riggs. They'll blow something up. Yeah. They'll shoot a bunch of people and... Look him out of it. But I figure, you know, who else would be, you know, all the like people, the captain, everybody that had to like put up with them, everything that they did that caused them all this paperwork and nightmares, like they were just fed up finally. So they teamed up. I like it. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, let's hear then what's going on in your long term. Okay. Riggs looked in the rearview mirror as the building he and Murtard went out of (laughs) had just exploded and collapsed behind them. (laughs) Well, looks like we're back, muttered Riggs. (laughs) Murtard just nodded and shook his head as he took one of his hard tablets and hoped that Riggs would not drive through the red lights ahead. <laughs> Since getting the letter they had been sent on a wild gooch chase around the city, they discovered that their antagonist was Peter Rudd, the son of South African diplomat Arjun Rudd. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> nice. Echoed through their minds. <laughs> Peter had grown up to be a rather successful arms dealer and had finally decided to get his revenge for the death of his father. Things had not gone well, though, for Peter, as he had been in the exploding building behind them. Oh, no. Are you okay, Roger? asked Riggs as he stopped the car at the red lights. I'm, I'm good, I'm good, replied Murtaugh. Can we go get some coffee now? And that's my long term. Very good. <laughs> I think we both uh, think we both did a good job of keeping to the spirit of the films, right? Lots of uh, yeah, explosions, yeah, yeah. lots of people dying, and, and a good dose of humor. I think we I think we yeah. both kind of nailed that one. Yeah, I think we kept got the characters for the... Uh, we kept them all in character yeah, as well. Yeah, I that's think so. Good. Very good. Yeah. All right, I like it. Okay, well, uh, Phil, I believe maybe you have some lethal trivia for us. I do. It's also the based round of the first film. but uh, the fir- That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the first lethal weapon, I'd say 1987, was one of the first movies to show a modern cell phone or mobile phone, as we call them here in the UK. Yeah, wow. Uh, the prop Beretta 92F handgun that Mel Gibson used was the same uh, prop gun that Bruce Willis used in Die Hard. Oh, wow. Which I think is a nice little thing. That it? is, yeah. Yeah, right. And also, the role of uh, Danny, uh, the role of Murtar was uh, offered to Brian Dennehy. He turned it down because he'd been a police officer in First Blood and FX, Murder by Illusion. Right. Uh, but uh, people considered for the role of Riggs were quite a few. I'll just list, name a few of them. But we had like Alec Baldwin, Jeff Bridges, Brian Brown, Nicolas Cage, Robert De Niro, Willem Dafoe, Kevin Costner, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom Selleck, Charlie Sheen, Stallone, Patrick Swayze, John Travolta, Bruce Willis, Kevin Kline, wow. Christopher Reeve, Dennis Quaid, pretty much oh, Michael Madsen as well, and Christopher Lambert. Wow, yeah. So it all would have been a totally different film. Yeah, any of them. a lot of those, I think, you know, could have worked in different ways, but I think yeah, clearly yeah, yeah. This, Mel Gibson, you know, was the, the right choice for the, the part and, you know, really made it his own, so... Oh, definitely. Oh, Al Pacino as well was another one. Oh, Imagine if it had been Al Pacino and yeah. Robert De Niro. <laughs> know, right? Oh, man. Hoo-ha! Uh, well, I, I actually have a bit of trivia to add. Oh, yeah? Hit me with it. So, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, there is a building, uh, there's a scene of a building exploding, like a big building exploding. Yeah. And that actually was filmed in Orlando when I was living there. Uh, they were um, they were demolishing the old City Hall building. I believe it was City Hall. I could be wrong on that. If anybody's listening who knows better than me, I apologize. I believe it was the old City Hall building to make 
uh, room for a new one or a parking lot because they built a new one, something like that. But they were so what they were doing was they were imploding it as they do with buildings sometimes. You know how they implode them like professionally. Yeah, yeah. So the Lethal Weapon film crew came down to Orlando and filmed the implosion and added some pyrotechnics to make it look more like an explosion. Yeah, I believe Mel Gibson and Danny Glover were there for it, but I don't remember entirely. But I remember it was a big deal. Everyone was talking about it for weeks that Lethal Weapon was coming. They were going to film this explosion or implosion, uh, and a lot of Orlando residents went down to watch it. I did not go because it was. It was kind of like the middle of the night, and I th- I think I was still either in high school or just out of high school. I don't remember, but you know you know how it is. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, we should go to that, and then you don't go. But anyway, it was a real big deal. It was on all the news. We got to see a lot of footage of it. Everyone was talking about it. So I not only do I love Lethal Weapon 3, but there's a like, nice little section in the middle where I can see a lot of downtown Orlando, and it has some you know warm, fuzzy memories for me. A little personal trivia there, if you will. That's, that's cool. I like stuff like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So there you go. Those are our endings for Leviathan and the Lethal Weapon franchise. Uh, Now it's time for us to move on to our 100 stars of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I take one of our favorite actors or actresses and share our top five performances by said actor or actress. And today we are doing Halle Berry. Yes, yes. Halle Berry. She's been in many films. Uh, She was born in 1966. And she's still going strong. Yeah. The last film she was in uh, was John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. And uh, I think she's, I think we may be seeing her in some more of those films if they carry on. Yeah, yeah. Which they no doubt will, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but we're going to be looking at our favourite performances of Halle Berry. And as we've done in these previous features, it doesn't necessarily mean the film they're in. We might not like the film per se that they're in, but it's just about the actual performance themselves. Right, right. So uh, speaking of though, that kind of ties into something I'm going to talk about in a minute. But how do you how do you feel about Halle Berry overall? Yeah, I I think she's a really good actress, but she's often been in in lousy films. See, that's that's what I was going to say. It's funny as I was going through the list of her her filmography. Yeah, I, I think she's a great actress. Yeah, yeah. But I look at her kind of filmography of something, and I'm like, man, it's sort of like. Not a lot of great films. I, I think she's done a few great films, but I think she's done a lot that are either lackluster films or just didn't do that well or whatever. I just I do feel like just it wasn't the easiest list to put together only because some of the films left yeah. me wanting a little bit. So, but that's why we focus on the performances. Same same here. Yeah, but then I, I had to on a few of them I had to go. Well, yeah, the film was wasn't that good, but you know. Let's was her performance good and look at it that way. But right, right. It's like I mean, she should have she she would have been a brilliant storm if she'd actually you know had a decent script. Yeah, uh, right, had something to do. Right, I don't blame Storm on her at all. I you know I think she no, just didn't no. have much to, to work with on that character. So, um, but yeah, I, I I like her. I think she's a good actress. But I do you know although I look at my list and the the four films I picked. Well, four of the five films I picked I really like, and there's one that I hate. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not too bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, there's three, th- three on my list I like and. To sort of, uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. All right. So, do you want to uh, kick things off, or should I kick things off? Uh, you kick things off. Okay. So, my number five is from 2013, and it's from a movie called The Call. Halle Berry plays a character called Jordan Turner, who is a 911 dispatcher who receives a call from a girl as she is being kidnapped. And it's actually a pretty decent little thriller. You know, it's nothing crazy original, but it's a good, taut thriller. But what I think, the reason I included it on my list is, you know, Halle Berry spends the first half of the movie uh, acting to a telephone. You know, she's on their headset and she's looking at her computer screen and she has to act scared and concerned and professional and forceful and commanding and all these different things. And I think it's a really good performance for that. Now, the second, like the last third of the movie, it chucks all wisdom out the window and she goes on the run to help this girl and kind of like tracks her down and turns into an action hero. But I do think, especially the first two thirds of the film, like I said, when she's really acting against almost nothing for most of the film, I do think it's a really good performance. So that was uh, that's my number five, The Call. Uh, I 
I've not actually seen that film, but uh, oh okay. I remember when it was com- coming out. There was a, the market. There was loads of marketing for that film. Yeah, it did. It and did it pretty just well. To come and disappear. It, well, yeah. it opened. It opened fairly big. You know, I think it made like sixty or seventy million. Like it was one of those kind of mid-level hits. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a good one. Like if it pops up on Netflix or one of the streaming services, and you're just like kind of flipping around, like you kind of already watched your movie for the night, but you're not ready to go to bed. And you're like, what can I throw on that's kind of easy to watch? Like that's that kind of movie. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It's a fun watch, but it's nothing you need to go out of your way for. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, my number five is a film from 2010, and it's called Frankie and Alice, uh, and it's it's not a very good film. Okay. <laughs> uh, the plot's it's bit, but it's uh, but but Halle Berry she she's playing a stripper, who then we find out as well she's killing people, but then you find out she's got doses, uh, dissociative identity disorder or split personality or whatever the correct phrase is these days. But uh, her performance was pretty good. Uh, especially considering the, the script and everything, but she's going through. She's basically playing two characters and flipping between one and the two. Uh, she does some. She's doing some fight scenes, being violent. She's she's playing where one of the old, uh, one of the other, one of her characters is not very nice at all. But it's uh, it's just yeah, her performance uh, does stand out in a film which is just a by the rails. It's a little bit boring as well the whole film, but her performance is really good, especially dealing with the whole issue of. You know the the identity disorder that she's going through. Right. That's uh, my number five. I like it. It's worth watching just see how bad it is. But uh, but her performance is really good. Okay, I have not seen that one, so like that's why it's not mm. on my list. But uh, good to yeah, know. Yeah. It sounds intriguing. Mm. All right. That's it. The idea, the story itself should be really should have should be one we go. Wow, this is amazing. But uh, yeah, just falls a bit flat. But her performance is really good. Cool. All right. Well, my number four is from 2012, and it is the film Cloud Atlas, directed by the Wachowski brothers. And she plays, get this, Native Woman, Jocasta Ayres, Louisa Ray, Indian Party Guest, Ovid, and Mironim. Mm. And for those of you who are wondering what the hell I'm talking about, Cloud Atlas is this really um, ambitious film that I like more than some people, but less than others. Um, and it, it's basically a series of, of vignettes or stories in different time periods. And all the main cast members, which includes Halle Berry and Tom Hanks uh, and Hugo Weaving and Jim Sturgis, they they play different characters in each one. And sometimes they switch genders. Sometimes they switch races. So at one point she's white. At one point she's a man. And it's it's really ambitious. It does not work all the time. Sometimes you're like, that's Halle Berry dressed as a white person, like, you know, made up as a white person, like, that's weird. And other times you're like, why is Halle Berry now a man? But (laughs) that all being said, I do think it's a pretty cool film. I think it works more often than not. And I think for somebody who's playing all these different roles and literally changing race and gender and stuff like that, she does a really good job with it. I don't think it was an easy thing to pull off. And some of the stories are really cool. And I think that there's no point at which you're watching it going, this is a bad performance. You might not buy her as a man or, you know, whatever, like because of the makeup and stuff, but you're never thinking like, this is embarrassing. This is a bad performance. So that's why it's my number four. I think she does some really good stuff in it. Uh, it's an interesting film that I do like, and she plays a lot of parts. So that's my number four. Yeah. It's also my number four. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, much, much for the same reasons as well. I'm sort of, I'm still not sure whether I like the film or not, but it's uh it was very ambitious. It's based on the 2004 novel of the same name by David Mitchell. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it was one of those ones which you never think they're going to make a film out of the book than they did and it kind of works it's very it's more it's 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 an interesting film to watch just to see to see how it works especially when you find out all these actors are playing you know different roles but Halle Berry as you say is doing lots of different roles while they all are but it's just it's amazing to watch and you're you do end up I do find you end up watching though each different segment trying to pick out you know which actors who and what's going on and 
or what the links are and things. But it's, yeah, Halle Berry, she's got, as they all do, they, lots of different performances in the one film of different characters. So it must have been a hell of a challenge. Right. But also quite satisfying as well. And just, you know, it's you, you're doing these different things all the time. And then you got, you're dealing with all, like, the makeup and things and some of them. And So, yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, my number four as well. All right, very good. Well, my number three then goes all the way back to 1991, and it is The Last Boy Scout, starring Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans and directed by the great Tony Scott. Yeah. Uh, And Halle Berry plays Corey. And so this was an interesting one for me, and I did decide to put it on here. It's not that I think this is some, like, Oscar-worthy performance, you know, that's so moving and so dramatic and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's not really the case, but I put it on here because this is one of her very first film roles, and I believe she was a model before this, and so I think that to star alongside Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans in this big action film where a character is really far from necessarily the dramatic moments aren't really what the film is about, I think she holds her own pretty well. She's you know sexy and vivacious and cute and charming. It's not a big, heavy acting lift, but I feel like for somebody who had been just a model at this point, like... She was one of the standout people in that film. Like you remembered her. You were like, who is this? Like when you watch that film, you're like, not only is she gorgeous, but like she's really like there's something magnetic and personable about her, you know? So like when she went on to become a star, yeah, yeah, I yeah. kind of already knew who she was because she was in the last Boy Scout. I always remembered her from that. And I was not really surprised because I thought that film showed a lot of her potential. So that's my number three, the last Boy Scout. No, good pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh that's a film I've not seen in a while. I need to check that one out. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that film. Yeah. I like it a lot. Actually. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really fun. Good stuff. Okay. Well, my number three is uh, the film. She, where she won a, she won the Academy Award for best actress for this one. It's uh, monsters ball 2001. Uh, which stars Billy Bob Thornton and Heath Ledger as well. And it's uh, Halle Berry's character in the film in love with Billy Bob Thornton's character, who's a prison warden. Uh, they, On paper, they shouldn't they shouldn't have this relationship. Uh, there's lots of things going on in it. It's uh, it's it's quite a dark film. It's uh, it's a really good film, but I didn't really enjoy it just because of what it's dealing with and, and things like that. But it's uh, it's her performance is like, it's a... It's it is a powerhouse of performance dealing with like grief and all sorts of things, but it's just it's it stayed with me uh, her performance even though the film itself hasn't, which I suppose is one of those weird things with some films. But uh, that's my number three. Okay, very good. Mm. My number two is from 1998, and it is Bullworth, starring Warren Beatty. Uh, and oh, she, I've never seen this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. um. So she plays a character called Nina. Um, and I can't really tell you too much about her character because there's some things that happen with her and there's some reveals I don't want to give away. But basically, she ends up being sort of a companion to this politician named Bullworth who is like le- trailing in the polls. And he basically ends up like having almost a mental break and he starts like rapping and like dressing in like hip hop street clothes and trying to connect with the people. And he becomes very popular. I really like this movie, even though it was a huge bomb. And yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that critically acclaimed, but I think it's a really good film. I think the only thing that doesn't work for me is that the end is really kind of ambiguous, but it's a really funny, smart, dramatic movie that I, I like quite a bit. And I think that she gives a really good performance in it. And, uh, you know, her and, and Beatty work together really well, even though they necessarily might not necessarily you would expect them to. But I think they play off each other well. And then she, her character kind of goes through some changes that I think are are pretty neat. So um, it's a good film. And I think she gives a, it's a good role for her. So that's my number two, Bullworth. Worth checking out if you haven't seen it, which I think most people haven't. Yeah, it's one of those ones. I think it was the idea of the plot sort of put me off a bit. I think it did a, a lot of people. But yeah, I must. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll, if, if, 
I'll see if it's on any of the streaming channels. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's it, again, nothing any you need to go out of your way for. But if you get a chance to watch it, I think it's better than people give it credit for. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, my number two is a film from 2002. It's Die Another Day, the James Bond film, Pierce Brosnan. And Halle Berry plays uh, Jinx Johnson, the NSA agent. And uh, I thought she was a great Bond girl because she was holding her own. She wasn't just there to look good. Right. Uh, although she did, but she was her, char- her character is uh, a great uh, spy in her own right. She's you know has fight scenes, action scenes, doing all all sorts of things. It was again, it was an, almost like uh, it was trying to be. I'm not sure whether it was, but whether they're trying to do a set up a spin off for her character. I just uh, I, I really liked it. You know what, what they did with her. Yeah, because she was doing her own thing. She wasn't you know she wasn't waiting for Bond to to do his thing. You know she was she was already ahead of the game, and and he was and Bond was just going what the hell. Uh, it's let down now because I had another day. I, I, I did like some of it, especially the opening bits where he was uh, he's getting uh, bonds being tortured and things like that. I thought it was going to be a real good way, but it sort of gets let down with some of the CG special effects and stuff. But on the whole, I enjoyed that. But I thought her performance as, uh, as Jinx was really good. Yeah, and that's my number two. Very good. Didn't make my list, um, but I, I actually really like that film. There's a couple of dodgy moments with the special effects, but I do think mm. that the whole storyline and the revenge aspect and everything, I, I really like. It's one of the better yeah, um, yeah. of the of the Brosnan film, Bond films yeah, for my yeah. money. All right. Well, my number one has already appeared on your list, and it is Monster's Ball, uh, which you mentioned. You mentioned she won the Oscar for. Um, when I was yeah. looking back at this, as far as performances go, I had to give this one the edge. Just it is her most heavy lift, dramatic performance. Yeah. I hate this film passionately. Yeah. I think it's an just a horrible horrible movie. It's miserable and terrible and unlikable and Miserable's a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. character in it is unlikable and you'll just you'll want to take a shower after watching it and I I absolutely do not like this film in any way shape or form. I will never watch it again. But that being said, her performance is excellent. She really goes to some deep places, some dark places. She gives it her all. I think she deserved the Oscar for it. I just wish it was a better movie. I wish it was a movie I could get behind, but I really hate it. So yeah. that's my number one. For Based on performance, It's it's it was an easy one for me. Uh, sort of easy because I hate the film so much. It was still hard to find it, but I really couldn't. It didn't seem to fit in any of the. It was hard for me to be like, oh, I think she's better in Last Boy Scout than in Monsters Ball. You know, like one of them is a lightweight role and one of them is a real heavy role. So I kind of went by that. But there you go, Monsters Ball. If you haven't seen it, don't bother. Just trust me, it's a good performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a good performance. Yeah. 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 Okay, my uh, my number one is uh, it's. I think it might have been her first film role. Around about 1991, same as uh, yeah, she had three films out that year, so it's hard to say which one, yeah, you know, might have been first, but but it's just it was it was just a very small role, uh, small role, but it's uh, Vivian in the Spike Lee's Jungle Fever, and basically, she's, she's pretty much unrecognizable, she's playing like a crack addict, yep, who's just after the next hits. Uh, she just she looks she looks dreadful, and we all know what Halle Berry looks like, so. You know, you got to do a lot of work for that. But she, she also—it's not just the makeup and everything. She just she acts it, and she considering it's like one of the first roles as well. She's—it's—it was a great choice as well because it's in a film with Wesley Snipes, Samuel Jackson, uh, Ossie Davis, uh, Anthony Quinn, John Turturro as well. Loads of people, Spike Lee as well. It's—it's again, it's—I uh, like some Spike Lee films, others I don't. This one, I'm not particularly a big fan of the whole film, but her performance, as I say, it's only a small role. But when she's there, you just go, "Oh my God, that's amazing." She's there. You be- totally believable in what she's doing. You can see the effects that the the drug has on you, the addiction. Uh, but that's uh, that's my uh, my number one. Uh, yeah, Vivian and Jungle Fever. Good choice. I don't I don't think I've ever gotten around to seeing Jungle Fever, so it's one of those ones mm. I've got to. 
I've been making my way, my way through some of the Spike Lee films that I've missed uh, recently, so that's one I still have to get to. But I, I do, yeah, I have yeah, heard yeah. that she's really good in it, so I think that's a good pick. Very yeah, good pick. Yeah, yeah well, it's, uh, yeah, yours is a good good list as well, but some good films. There. Yeah, I mean, it's well, slow, some, some, some it's a okay mix, films. right? Some good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's done some good films, but she's also made some films that either I, you know, I don't think are good at all, or just maybe aren't to my taste. But I have always thought she's a great actress, so yeah. this was uh, a still a fun list to put together. Totally. All right, well, there you go. That is going to start to wrap us up. That's our, our top five Halle Berry performances and our, our endings. So before we wrap things up, then, Phil, do you want to tell people what is in store for our next episode? Yes, yeah, so the next episode, we're going to be going after the ending of Reality Bites and American Psycho. Cool. Which should be fun. And yeah. looking at the top five performances, our top five favorite performances of Jim Carrey. I like it. Should be fun. There should be should be lots of fun. Yeah, so make sure you tune in for our next episode. And uh, until that time, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending now phil is looking down the room seeing what <laughs> right what's that oh right now i'm gonna do something is, is it am i cutting into a cabbage or am i cutting into somebody's head i've got <laughs> wow. my cabbages so that got, that got dark real quickly <laughs> yeah we're gonna be going after the episode of some classics no after here. the ending what did i say you said after the episode Oh yeah, that's a whole new after, show we're gonna do after the episode. That's when it gets really you know after after the ending after dark. That's where we're gonna do. We're gonna pick a popular TV show, and every week after the episode airs, we're gonna come up with a fake <laughs> ending for what happens after that episode. Oh my god, it's gonna be crazy. It, well, and we're gonna start with the Simpsons. <laughs> Good, we'll have enough podcast fodder for the next two hundred mm. years. Yeah, involving a banana peel, and uh, and. <laughs> Can't even read what <laughs> Alright, now don't stop recording yet. Oh no. Did you already start recording? Stop recording? No, no, right. no I just mean that means you've got a joke. <laughs> uh, I, I have three actually. Oh, lucky us. They are they are sea creature jokes. Not like okay. alien sea creatures though, because you know, I yeah. only have so much. But what did the sarcastic otter say? <sighs> I don't know. I think you've confused me with someone who builds a dam. Oh no! Oh, that was a Kriller joke. That one. <laughs> a what? Kriller? No krill. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> See, you complain about me, and then you hit me with stuff like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you heard about the restaurant that caters exclusively to dolphins? No. It only has one customer, but at least it serves a porpoise. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I should have got that one. No. I like that one. Right. I like that one too, actually. All right, and yeah. then what does a mermaid wear to math class? Oh. These jokes are a bit fishy, Mike. I, don't I know, know they are. <laughs> uh, math, uh, I don't know. An algebra, naturally. <laughs> oh, I should. That didn't deserve a laugh. I know. <laughs> See, oh, no. this is the problem: is you keep you keep feeding me. You know, you keep uh, spurring me on because you laugh at these jokes. So of course, I'm going to keep telling them. Dear me, dear me, you son of a bitch. <laughs>